All right. I, I have been uh, blessed with the opportunity in the past few years to observe people who attend street fairs and festivals. And I've noticed that there are multiple, multiple vendors at those events seeking to fulfill needs. And many people, sometimes gobs of people, go to those events seeking to satisfy needs. For example, the Anacort Anacortes Arts Festival is going on today, and it's taking up most of Commercial Avenue, or a lot of it. If, if you go downtown, old downtown, and walk Commercial Avenue, let's put it this way, if you drive it, you just buzz through it. But when you walk it, it's a long street. And when you've got three rows of booths with people today at the Arts Festival selling their fine art and their crafts and all sorts of goods, your eyeballs will get numb. If you, if you choose to look at, just glance at each booth. There are tons of booths down there. Now, last week I was helping my friends out. We were selling tons of sugar in the form of ice cream and shave ice and root beer floats and all that kind of stuff, ice cream bars, at the Sc Seattle Scottish Highland Games in Enumclaw. And on Saturday it was 90 degrees. Now, in that type of event, unlike the, a street fair, street fair people can come and go and in and out. There, you're kind of captive. You pay to get in, and then you walk around and you look at clan booths and brag about your clan, or you watch big guys throw logs into the air and rocks, or you sit there and listen and have your ears blistered with bagpipe music. Or you can go into the pavilion and just look at all sorts of stuff. Swords, kilts, whatever. And so there's vendors seeking to, to fulfill needs and there's people walking around and eventually they get hungry. And so you'll, at, the, at the Highland Games you'll see them walking around with meat pies or big turkey legs or, or whatever. There's all sorts of food. And then, then from 11 to 1, you know, we're selling ice cream, and it's kind of slow, but at 1 o'clock, boom, chaos. Everybody's ready for dessert. So our booth is chaos. And root beer floats last week on Saturday were flying out of that booth. You and I, see, the, I, I meant to bring a cup. We were selling cups about like that, pour the root beer in there, and then put ice cream in there. Wilma can make a root beer float for probably 20 cents. We're selling them for $6.00. I won't tell you what they grossed, what my booth grossed on Saturday and Sunday. You would get sick. But uh, it was it, they, people are looking for something to cool themselves down, and so they buy shaved ice, which I think is a total waste of money. We're, we're asking, well, and even buying the stuff in the Anacortes Art Fair uh, Festival, where do you put it? You, you buy something, and then you got to go home and find a space to put this stuff, right? So, so a lot of us are saying, why do people do that? Why can't they go online? Well, there's, they're just, events are expensive. The prices are overinflated. But often the products are unique. You might be able to find them online. But that's one reason people, I guess, go to these things. Uh, the, the 
the atmosphere and what's going on is unique, the products are unique, and number two, there's nowhere else to go, especially at the Highland Games, you're stuck in there. You can't go to Enumclaw, that's too far away, so you, you eat when you're hungry and you drink root beer floats when you're thirsty, and overall, probably the entire experience is an escape, right? It's an escape. So there's, there's reasons people go there and, and spend a lot of money. It's, uh, the big one's probably entertainment, but there's needs being satisfied. I would like you to find Acts 13. Lysander read from that. And I want you, we're, fasten your seatbelts because we're going to go through this quickly. All right, Acts 13. And as we go through there, think about the needs that Paul was addressing. Last Saturday and yesterday, we were satisfying emotional needs through comfort food like ice cream. What, what is being satisfied here in this chapter? It's, unchar it's uncharted territory. Paul and Barnabas go into Asia Minor, and the, the good news has not been there up to this point. And God, through Paul, summarizes the history of God's people Israel because he's talking to Jews do you notice that? He goes into the synagogue, and he's given an opportunity to speak. So from 17 to 23, he's talking to God's people and those whom we call proselytes, Gentiles who become Jews. And in 23, can you find 23? 13, 23, he notes the promise to David. In 27 through 28, he notes the fulfillment of prophecy regarding Christ's death. And 30 through 37, he explains the fulfillment of prophecy regarding his resurrection. Now let's go back to 23. Here's where Paul highlights the keeping of those promises. Quote, God has brought to Israel a Savior. Do you see that? That's in 23. Drop down to 26. Paul explains that this message being presented is a message of what? Salvation. 32. Are you with me in 32? Quote, we are, quote, preaching to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. And in 38, he explains this is a message of forgiveness of sins and freedom from all things. That is an interesting phrase. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that. Freedom from all things, which he explains the law of Moses could not do. The word of the Lord, after Paul was finished speaking here, the word of the Lord was being spread through that whole region. So notice what Paul highlights that he's bringing to them. The fact, the good news that God has brought Israel a savior. That's the main thing. And it notes that the word of the Lord being spread through the whole region, Antioch, was filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. There is the end result of that message. Do you see that? And in, in Antioch 44, nearly the whole city came to listen to them the next day. And the word spread throughout the whole region. They were chased out of Antioch and over to Iconium. In Iconium, now we're going to shift our attention to the number of people that responded. 
In Iconium, a large number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews from Antioch came to Iconium and chased Paul and Barnabas and his, uh, those surrounding him to Lystra. And in Lystra, they take a different approach because they are faced not so much with Jews, but pagan Gentiles. And so instead of going over the history of Israel, what does he do? He points out that the God he serves, he and Barnabas serves, is greater than their God. They heal a man, and those people almost, those people get to the point where they want to make Paul and Barnabas gods, don't they? They call them gods, and Paul and Barnabas, they take a long time to, to say, no, 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 and, and to get the crowd and prevent them from worshiping them. And so they're chased to Derby. And in, I'm in chapter 14 now. And they preached the gospel, 1421, I believe, explains to us. They preached the gospel and made many disciples. So we have a large number and we have many. If you put it in reverse and went back to Acts 2, it's fascinating to, to compare the words of Peter with the words of Paul in, in 13. They are so similar, so very similar. Be, why is that? The message is the same, right? Message is the same. He's brought you a Savior. Now there, we're given a hard number of the people that believe. There were at least 3,000 that were immersed into Christ in Acts 2 through Peter. In 13 and 14, it's just in general terms. Now, is this a numbers game? <coughs> if I had the whiteboard over here, I would write, it's not a numbers game as as it pertains to results, who do we lead the results up to? <laughs> right. But on the front end of things, it's a numbers game in, in, in the sense that it, we need to ask the question, how much seed is being thrown out? All right. Now, last week, here in America, there may have been an event that is sort of, maybe somewhat a little bit close to what you see in Acts 13 and 14 and in Acts 2. Because in a small town in Ohio, over a month ago, there was a, your brother, one of your brothers in Christ, in a small town in Ohio, got on his motorcycle, his wife got on her motorcycle, and they drove, they were riding to worship assembly on Sunday morning, a Sunday morning. And somebody came out and hit his wife while she was on her bike. Do you remember her name? Um, Lynette, I think it is. And she died. <clears throat> so the church there obviously was reeling from that. The husband is in, in grief. <coughs> All the way up until last Sunday, where in the weeks previous, he had sent out an invitation to motorcycle riders all over the place, but especially in that area, to join him in riding to Sunday assembly last Sunday, it's his first time since that happened, since she died. And so I'm going to show you a clip that the local news agency there in this town, it's Chillicothe, Ohio. I'm going to show you a clip, if everything works, of the news and how they reported it. And it um, Daniel, the, evan the evangelist there, Daniel, said they did a pretty good job. So I'm going to put in the sound, Larry, I'm going to turn it down. 
serving man didn't have to make his weekly trip to church alone. Ray Hess's wife, Lynette, was killed when her motorcycle crashed on her way to service at the church in Chillicothe last month. Today, hundreds of bikers showed up so he wouldn't have to make that trip by himself. This is a sound Lynette Hess and her husband Ray love. Sunday morning, hundreds of bikers from across the state came to Chillicothe. So on what would have been Lynette's 51st birthday, Ray didn't have to ride alone. We was our way to church and I never got to finish it with her. So this is the last ride I, I take with her. This, this is for her. This is the finish of passion and riding the back of the bike. A normally soft-spoken Ray was in awe. He says his wife would have loved this. It's, it's emotional. It's overwhelming. It's amazing. It's God. God is shining here today. I'm showing him my, my wife went to heaven. She's up there looking down on this. Minister Daniel DeGarmo says for Lynette, who was always trying to bring people to church, this ride is symbolic of her legacy. If she was here and she saw this, what she would want for every person that pulled in here to know the truth about Jesus. Ray hopes she's smiling, just like she did at the start of every day. She says, oh, we'll get out of bed more Maddie church because I'll be a happy wife. And uh, that's, that's what happened. So the, the evangelist, Daniel there, he, he's uh, in this video. Uh, that one right there, it's easy for me just to explain it. And this one here, he's waiting for the motorcycles to arrive. And he's sitting in a chair. They have no idea how many are going to arrive. And... This, this was this last Sunday. And he's waiting and he's just saying a few things about the fact that what he plans to do is just speak the truth about Jesus and explain what Jesus has done in his life and the church there and their lives. And the fact that uh, he used himself as an example. He and his wife lost a son a few years ago. And he does not know what he would have done through that situation without being in the hands of God. And so that's the kind of thing he wanted to share. Now, it turns out he learned from the police department 2,000 bikes descended upon that town. And not all of them made it around the meeting house there. But they, that building looks like it has quite a bit of open grass and space around it. And so... Sure enough, he got on a bullhorn, and uh, not all 2,000 bikers were there, but it looks like at least hundreds were outside, and he started out with Ephesians 1, just reading a little bit out of Ephesians 1 about the blessings in Jesus Christ, and then he talked a little bit about the rebellious nature in human beings. Now, that would be appropriate for a whole bunch of bikers, wouldn't it? <laughs> at least many of them. And then he read a little bit from Acts 2, Peter's sermon there, and just, and just flat out read all the way to their response as they were listening to Peter and offered that same invitation, we would say, to those unbelievers. And this is on a Sunday morning. 
And I'll, I'll share with you some of his takeaways from that. But uh, there, as far as I understand, there were no bikers that expressed a desire to be immersed in the Christ. But they did baptize six people. Is that a praise God thing? Yeah, absolutely. Two were associated with the local church there. One was the sister of the sister in Christ who died. And one was the niece of the sister in Christ who died in that motorcycle accident. And then two, I believe, were cousins of the husband. So right, right there that day, they went into the building and, and immersed those people into Christ. They had the, the Lord's Supper. They invited, you know, who, whatever bikers wanted to go into the building to, to be a part of that. And then separate from that, they, were out, they went outside and uh, allowed the bikers to turn on their bikes, and they did a, a thousand rev roar, and that was in honor of Lynette, the wife. So there, it was just a, a scenario that was very interesting. Now, when, when Daniel's sitting here, waiting to come in, waiting for them to come. Oh, I, I explained what he was going to do. And, and then he did some preaching. And I'll tell you what, he, in the afternoon, he sits down again and videotapes himself. He does a, a little video, and he wanted just to express takeaways that he took away from this event. Lesson number one. Now, I'm summarizing the evangelist there in in this town in Ohio. The takeaways, adaptation. He says, there are situations and circumstances change so quickly in our lives. We get comfortable and we get used to the way things are and then boom, chaos hits, right? Have you ever experienced that? So Daniel's takeaway was, let's keep the focus where it needs to be and last week, there in that location with that local church, the focus was people. And the, here's his opinion. He thinks that many churches get wrapped up in the rote, R-O-T-E, the rote routine process, and they miss out on the opportunities to adapt. And Daniel says, I'm not talking about adapting the Word of God and changing the Word of God and adding to the truth or changing the truth. I'm talking about adapting to the audience and the situation and the circumstances and adapting to the community in order to allow more people to hear. Don't be afraid to adapt. That's what he took away from it. Number two, the bond of brotherhood. So brethren, this morning we think of bikers. Do they have a camaraderie? Yeah, what? and a rivalry, but in, in this case, this case there was a call out to come with me to ride to church and 2,000 showed up, right? There's a bond, there's brotherhood there. There's, there's uh, I guess, some sort of love, <laughs> love for bikes, some, something that bonds, brings them together. Now Daniel here, the evangelist there says, the church could learn a lesson about that. Why? Why can a church learn a lesson from this? Because our bond is so much deeper, right? 
Mr. Harley designed a V-twin engine and attached it to a bicycle in 1901, and it went public in 1903. The Lord shed his blood a long time before that. And many more people were brought together, more than Harley riders, brought together in Christ fellowship. So our bond in Christ goes back a long ways, and it, it's deeper and it's rich, more so than just riding around on bikes with other people. Even though that may be fun, that has nothing on the bond that you and I have. And that was Daniel's point. And that, so they did that thousand rev, and Daniel said, boy, they made a lot of noise. Can you imagine that, cranking up those motorcycles? I don't know if all 2,000 were there at that time. It sounds like a little less, but still, that's a loud roar. And so it, Daniel's takeaway was, we need to bring more energy and excitement to the brotherhood and the sisterhood in Christ. Now, I can give you the link to one of these where he's going over his takeaways from the day, and you can read what he thinks about making more noise. So my last point is, let's step into the little black rain crowd cloud just for a little bit just for a couple of minutes and we don't want to stay there you want to get out of the little black rain cloud and out of negativity and out of naysaying but can you hear it can you just hear it maybe not I hope it's not here but I can just hear people looking at that situation last week and saying well in our local church we don't have a Harley rider who died and can bring 2,000 bikers to a neighborhood you know you know what I respond to that you, you're right and, and I hope we don't have one who dies. I hope, I hope that doesn't happen. But we need to understand that this isn't going to happen. And Daniel makes this point in his afterthoughts that this isn't going to happen every week where someone dies and there's a call for riders and you, get, you, got a, you have an Acts 2 type of situation where you have thousands of people gathered in one spot. But we can ask ourselves the question, is it possible to create opportunities that are kind of similar to this there's a local church south of us here in Washington I don't know if they're still doing it but they used Friday nights to have what they called events for example where they talk about marriage or family life in Christ and and a godly family and things like that and the church there were encouraged to invite the neighborhood and the community to come and listen to those events you see what I mean so it's, it's getting creative in that way Somebody might say, well, pff, none of those bikers were saved. I heard something. The seed, the seed was planted. That's right. And, and Daniel's an energetic dude. You can tell he's an ADHD type of fellow. He, he even describes himself as that. And he was there. I would love to show you that, but I don't want to get into too many technical difficulties where he's on that bullhorn and... But I just, I just summarized. He, he read Ephesians 1, he read Acts, and then he just summed it up. And then Ray, who's a soft-spoken guy, get up and said, I'm, I'm willing and ready to baptize you if you believe in Jesus Christ. And he, he's the one that got that whole event going, and he's a very soft-spoken guy. Somebody might say, well, that evangelist there, he's an ADHD individual who just talks all the time with people. He naturally has more energy and excitement. And not all churches have that. You, you know what I respond to that? That's correct. Not all churches have a fellow like that. That church seems to have a few. 
But we can ask ourselves, have you determined your gifts? Are you an exhorter? Are you a connector? Are you a teacher? Are you a giver? Are you a helper? And are you using those gifts? Like I said, this husband here was soft-spoken. He is soft-spoken, yet he instigated this whole thing. Somebody might say, well, that's in Ohio. We're out here on the left coast, which is so liberal and so worldly. And you know what I respond to that? You're right. And so in need of the good news. <laughs> right? Amen? Look, or another excuse. Well, there's already hundreds and th maybe thousands of people here in the Skagit Valley who think they're saved and they're comfortable with where they're at. And I'll, I'll go and add, I'll add, they may not be working and worshiping with us here. They may be saved out there. Don't focus on them. Look at the Harley riders and the loners and the confused. Look for them crossing your circle of influence and the aimless and focus on the addicts and family members too proud to ask what they need in their life. Brethren, is it possible that here in the Skagit Valley, especially with this local church, that the Lord is refusing to nudge people in our direction? He's refusing, refusing to allow people to come into our circle of influence due to lack of faith. Are, are you with me? I'm almost done. Not their lack of faith, our lack of faith. Our lack of faith in the Word and the power of the Word. Our lack of faith in, in what Jesus Christ can do in our lives and should be doing in our lives if we're trusting in Him. Daniel used that phrase a lot, that deep-seated trust in Jesus. Do you have that? And I'm going to smile because I'm not yelling at you. I'm not reprimanding you. I'm just wanting you to think about, is it possible? I hadn't thought about this to a co-worker who's a believer brought it up. Could the, does the Lord maybe not want unbelievers in our midst because we don't act like we love the Lord? Let's conclude with some thoughts from Daniel. I'm going to quote him. In that little video where he's summarizing the day, he says, Brethren, we have work to do in the kingdom. We can't do this every week. And he's referring to that gathering of bikers, two or three, or one or two thousand. He says, that's unrealistic to think that that would happen every week. But he says, you know, there are people in your community, down the road, in the grocery store, who need to know about the Lord. Take a moment and tell them what gives you joy in life and tell them what the Lord has done for you. Tell them what they need to do to have the same kind of peace and hope which is found in those who place their hope and trust in the Lord. Unquote. I'm quoting this evangelist here. So yeah, we can throw out a bunch, bunch of excuses as to why we're not as excited about Jesus as they appear to be and I I will share I will share if you tell me about it I'll give you the links to this so that you know sometimes we get so isolated in our own little local area that we don't think about how excited 
you know, what excitement levels we can get to, and I don't mean just emotional excitement, but I mean, as, as Mr. Givens here has pointed out sometimes, it needs to be, the only time we're going to share the good news is when it's just welling up from within us and just overflowing and we can't help it. But we, but we can also, as parents do with children and as um, bosses do with employers, give tools and teach, you know, create ways and venues like the Kirkland Group is doing to bring people and to perk up people's interests out there who are unbelievers. So think about that. Psalm 86.10, speaking about the Lord, for you are great and do wondrous deeds, you alone are God. So he's the one we're putting our trust in, right? He's the one we're putting our hope in. Let's let him worry about the increase. Let's just quit sitting, sitting on the seed and start scattering it. Is that a good idea? Is that a good idea? Let's stand and sing.